What is up, people? That is Eric Steckel here on episode 124 of No Guitar Is Safe. He's plugging in for you. He's warming up. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Microphones. Blue has been making microphones for 25 years now, and today they're the mic of choice for millions of musicians, creators, producers, and you guessed it, podcasters. I love my Blue Mouse, and I know that Trent Reznor likes the Blue Mice. Is that how you say plural? Mouse? Mouses? Anyway, these are cool mics. But seriously, I think it sounds great. Whether you're just starting out or looking for a new color to add to your mix, you can find your perfect microphone at bluemic.com. So yes, Eric Steckel. When my friend Sean Feeney sent me a YouTube of Eric several months ago, I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, man, you should get him on your show. And I'm like, okay, anything for you, Sean. But no, really. I just got that feeling. I think I'm just trying to sing a little fishbone there. Got this feeling. Got this feeling. And uh, the feeling of when you hear a guitar player who's got some mojo. And Eric Steckel, man, he recorded a live album, you know, when he was 11 years old in the early 2000s. And 2002? And then he also hooked up with a true legend of British blues rock. When he was 12, he's got some cool adventures to tell you about. Stick around for that. Also, October 29th, he has his own set of Seymour Duncan pickups coming out. He's a great slide player and singer as well, and he plays these kick-ass Nags guitars, kind of like Steve Stevens did back several episodes ago. By the way, do you have the Steve Stevens ray gun filter on Instagram? Pretty cool. Yeah, Nags guitars with a K. This is one of Eric's tunes. It's called Solid Ground. Yeah, Eric, he rocks. He's traveled the world with his guitar, and you know, you can hear it. Never Thank you for listening to No Guitar is Safe. My name is Jude Gold, and I really want to thank Blue Microphones again because they have really supported this show, and, you know, they've been making mics for a long time now. And like the Yeti and the Bluebird, great microphones. Blue is found in everything from top recording studios to project studios to podcast studios to wherever. YouTube, creators, studios, TikTok studios. It's just a great tool to elevate your production. So whether you're just starting out or looking for something totally new to add to your mixes, visit bluemic.com. Click Get Started and find the perfect mic for you. All right, let's get in the copter and head over to the East Coast to a recording studio where Eric Steckel is so nice to set aside one part of one evening for you and me to hang out with him and hear some cool guitar playing.
Awesome. Eric Steckel in the house. In the yes. house. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Do you want to let her rip a little bit? I yeah, just love sure. the way you just This is the first time I'm playing crazy. all day, but uh, let's let's see how let's see how I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, beautiful. Good. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. When I first saw you play, which is admittedly, you know, three or four months ago, it's just instantaneous. Right. I just got that feeling when there's just that hot guitar player just ripping and just Thank having you. fun. It just reminds me of that feeling like why we all start kind of, right. and you have that joy to your playing. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's what I try to do. I mean, I for me, it's like if I'm not getting that feeling myself, then... Uh, I'm not doing it right, you know, so it's, that's, that's my motivator too, for sure. And it's funny, I was thinking it sort of had elements of blues and metal, and then I hear you sometimes calling it blues metal. Yeah, yeah, that, that came oh, yeah. about, that came about just because it was, at a certain point, it became so obvious, you know, like it was, uh, it was a no-brainer to just, to just call my sound blues metal, because it really is that, that 50-50 split, you know? And uh, I love some of, like, you'll do, like, some patterns, but, like, you, there are, floating over the bar line or they're kind of like doing hemiolas like i don't know what i'm not going to try to imitate you by like yeah. something like that or what, yeah. show us a couple of those things if you would yeah I, there's one that i that i've been doing for the last maybe year or so and i don't know i know i developed it on the road so it was like one of those long tours where you just start you're on gig 36 and you just start trying things and it's stuck, and it's, I'll do it in, um, well, I'm tuned down, but I'll do it in the C position, and it's like. So it's like this sort of weird, like, I see, I love half steps. I love half yeah. steps. It's very, very George Lynch, um, and I love the idea of putting a lot of tension into the playing. So, in other words, you're actually playing a wrong note but you're holding it just long enough to where people can stand it and then you resolve on something that people want to hear, you know? So that like... Those kind of yeah. tense moments, you know? What was what would be the rhythm if you could play a groove to set up the time and then go into that lick so we kind of hear a... Wow, okay, well, I do it in, I do it in all different types of uh, uh, tempos and time signatures because it can kind of, it can kind of fit everything, but let me think, yeah. like... Uh, uh, maybe something like... That's one, that's one way to do it on the faster end. But you, you can slow it down and do sort of like almost a double time with it. Um, just It's just one of many you know tricks in the bag. Yeah. And there's this other one that I did recently that and 
This is funny. We have the human hand, so sometimes similar things happen. I need some more dirt, man. I need more dirt. <laughs> but some like kind of like you're in the same position. Slides, yeah. And I see you reaching up from like C up to F or something. Yeah, there's I mean. there's um one of my favorite licks um that I only go to when I'm warmed up, like when my hands I don't do it in the first song usually, but one of my favorite licks is just doing like this sort of um uh, see this this everybody does that clapped in lick that that thing but not a lot of people do it with like a, doing it as a whole doing it as you know fifths so let's say you're in a yeah. so that one i like and then yeah. you can it's in the same position if you're in e so it's the same thing of just doing oh, it's the same stretch um, but it could be used in, in two different keys, you know, and uh, and it's it's fun, you know. And so today you're in a studio in New York. Where are you? Well, uh, I say New York for people that don't know the specific. I'm in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, which is like ah. 45 minutes outside of New York. Um, but a lot of people, you say East Stroudsburg, and they go, what the hell is that, you know? But I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I was born in a town about an hour from here. Uh, which one? Allentown. Oh, uh, yeah, I've been there. Okay, Billy Joel wrote a song about it. Yeah, if, you know, when you tour a lot and stuff, it's like you realize Pennsylvania. I've, I've probably played like 30 different cities in yeah. Pennsylvania. It's a huge state, you know? And we, <laughs> yeah. we jokingly talk about, you know, we call Pennsylvania is everything in the middle. You know, you got Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania in the middle. But honestly, the gigs are in Pennsylvania. You know, the gigs are in the middle. There's a lot of towns and great venues. Right. And I don't know so much right now, but uh, under normal circumstances, there's a lot of a lot of venues in in the middle of PA, and and it's a huge state. So, um, you grew up there? Or? I did, yeah. I, I, but the thing is, I've moved and lived in so many freaking places. Like, so I, I grew up in Allentown, PA, till I was like thirteen or so. Then I went down to Florida. I was in Jacksonville. Okay, sl slow down for a second. So, when did you start playing guitar? What made you pick that sucker up? Right. Okay. So I got my first Stratica. It was a Mexican Strat, black Mexican Strat. Uh, my uncle bought it for me when I was nine in 1999. And the reason why he bought it was because every time he'd come in to visit, he would see the way I reacted to either going to see a band or the way I reacted to records. He could just see that music was a passion for me even before I owned my own instrument. So the story that I'm told is that he pulled my, my dad aside and said, we got to buy the kid a guitar, you know. And within two years, uh, I put out my first record. So when I was 11, I put out. So it, what happened was it was just such an instantaneous thing. It just like as soon as I got a guitar in my hands, it was like, yep, this is this is yeah. correct, you know. <laughs> And it just it just went real quick, um, and then I made. And that was about 2002 when you were 11. Yeah, and that was when I made my so. first album, and it was called A Few Degrees Warmer. It was a live record, and I specify that only because there's so many things about that that are that are bizarre. One being your first record ever as a, as an artist being live and doing it when you're 11. Uh, I don't know many 11-year-olds yeah. <laughs> that do a live record. <laughs> so The only thing funnier than that would be if you put out your greatest hits record right. at 11. Exactly, exactly. It was bizarre, but it, I got to yeah. say, it was my dad's idea, and it was a brilliant idea because 
that launched me immediately into the blues scene. Like immediately, it was like because, yeah. and I know that. So I, wait, where did you where did you record um, a few degrees warmer? That degrees was hotter? that was at a venue that uh, closed down, you know, many many years ago uh, in Doylestown, which is like a Philadelphia suburb. And um, I know it, yeah. Doylestown. Uh, New Hope or whatever. Yeah, or? very. Yeah, I, well, I I did a yeah. record. I actually did another record uh, a few years later live at a place in New Hope. So there's a lot of in my early parts of my career. There was a lot of Pennsylvania stuff in there. You know, that little theater there. Uh, there's a place called or? Havana, which is um, oh. a lot of national acts come through there. They have a restaurant in the front, and then in the back they have a music venue. Yeah, I think, and there's seating outside on the sidewalk. Yeah, there's seating outside, and, and it's uh, it's a great venue. It's amazing yeah. if you look at who's been through there. It's like, wow, everybody's played there. It's crazy. And there is that David Maida's place? That's Dave Maida, who's Robin Trower's publicist, yep. And, and he, so, yeah, now we're connecting all kinds of dots. But yep, Dave, Dave's a good friend of mine. It was like a restaurant-slash-club where you were able to perform at age 11. Right. Right. And so I got my start playing like in basically the Philly suburbs when I was, you know, young, you know, early teenager, you know. And then um, then I because of my dad's work, I ended up moving to, you know, the family moved to Florida. And that was one of the coolest things that ever happened to me musically because I met the trucks family. Now, why did why did your dad move to Florida? Why did your family move to Florida? It was just for his job. Which is, or is it top secret? Is he CIA or something? No, well, he actually does work uh, uh, near the White House now, <laughs> but he, but, uh, but he hates government work. He used to work. He works in finance, and this was years ago, and and um, so you know the. Basically, the whole family was uprooted, went down to Florida, and I was thinking at the time that, well, geez, I'm going to be. I, I didn't realize the, the cool things that would come of that, and I met um, the Trucks family. You know, Derek Trucks and and his parents and his and all of his brothers. So what ended up happening was Dwayne Trucks, who's now the drummer for Widespread Panic, Derek Trucks' little brother, was my drummer yeah. for like five years and was on a couple of my records. And so I ended up being a part of the Florida sort of jam. Like I ended up in a scene that I never expected, you know, when my dad came home one day and said, we're moving to Florida. So that was great. Um, lived in Florida for eight years. Uh, lived in Nashville for two years. And then the rest of the time I've been in L.A. Oh, so you are in L.A. nowadays. Technically, yes. However, um, I'm home. I mean, everything's... <laughs> I'm home like three or four months out of the year. Like, I'm, I'm really... I travel so much. Yeah. Even, even, even during COVID, because even though I'm not touring in the traditional sense, uh, I'm doing stuff like this. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just driving yeah. around, I'm doing things, and so... So is your um, 2002 album that you recorded live, is that on... Spotify and stuff, or is you know it what that? Okay, so that record was that was before. Basically, I think there's one copy, physical copy that I know of that I think, I think me either my dad has it somewhere or maybe my uncle. That record was so early that it was before social media and it was yeah. before uh, iTunes even and before all that stuff. So, you you bring up a good point though. I should probably release a digital version of it at this yeah. point because uh, everything else all my other records are out there but th that first one if you go on ebay there's people selling copies for ridiculous amounts of money but but i think i only i think That's i don't awesome. have one <laughs> so. well let's take a little detour here and listen to something off your new record your current record obviously it looks like you're recording something today but your current record which you released in may yep this year just released is grandview drive yep and uh, you got so many great songs on there thanks maybe i can play a, i don't know same old blues 
Well, whatever, Beautiful. whatever you, whatever you're into. I mean, the thing about yeah. my records that is a, it's a good thing, it's a gift and a curse is they're extremely diverse. Which uh, that I do for my own personal uh, gratification. That's only that's because I don't like listening to albums that are just the same thing for ten tracks. But um, what makes it difficult is people have a hard time figuring out what their favorite song is. You know, so. Yeah, well, you've got really sweet songs like same old blues and you're singing your tail off which is great. Thank you. more of the blues metal kind of tunes like solid ground yeah solid ground is that to me is if somebody would ask me what that like what the hell is blues metal i would just say here you go just listen to this for six minutes because that's that's the sound like that song to me is the definition of what it is it's like it's a six eight groove you know it's a slow it's a blues drum beat but the guitar sound and the chord changes are more 80s metal demonstrate a couple things from that right now or sure yeah and this is actually the cool thing about this is this is the same studio and this is the same guitar and this is the same amp setup so it's literally the sound of the record so the riff I've seen some people on Instagram do like covers of it and I noticed that they usually do one note wrong the riff is doing there that second note is not a d it's an e so it's actually not yeah like the traditional blues thing would be but it's actually which is almost the metallica thing right 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 so it gives it more the metal thing and then what are some of the lead approaches you do on that if you have any that come to mind yeah now unfortunately uh i forgot to grab a slide um for this session but i can show so there's on that song in between the vocals in between the vocals patterns there's slide but the regular guitar solo at the end is just regular lead and i try to you know in the beginning of the solo i don't have the guitar all the way up you know i'm on like maybe four or five so it's like semi-dirty and i'm doing more i'm letting it sing more doing more vibrato you know 
Now tell me about your vibrato for a second, because I love it. It's uh, wide and it's not too fast or shrill or anything. Yeah, and I, and yeah. I, I did that's on purpose. You know, my, for me, the vibrato kings that I listen to, well, there's two there's two schools of it. I, there's the blues guys that I worship, you know, the obvious ones, you know, B.B. King, Stevie Ray Vaughan. But on the more heavier side, you know, Gary Moore. It's funny because I, lo- I am a huge Eddie Van Halen fanboy, but I prefer, yeah. actually, I'm more obsessed with his rhythm playing than like his lead. So I would say for me, vibrato, yeah, more more in the Gary Moore style because it's more, yeah. it's a little more relaxed. It's not, you know, super spastic, you know. Um, and I also, I love overbending, um, but deliberate. So stuff like, when you do it musically, so stuff like, um, stuff like... Stuff where you're just yeah. like again, it's the same thing we talked about before, like creating that that sort of ooh, that that tension thing that that yeah. that hurts in a good way, you know. And there's a lot of that yeah. on solid ground. Overbending, I like it. Yeah, totally. Torture those strings. Yeah, and I mean these these guitars. Um, now you're playing on one of your Nags guitars, correct? Yeah. So this is um, one of the more basic ones, but it's actually one of my best sounding ones. It's just a, you know just flat matte black ebony board yeah. it weighs about 7.8 pounds solid mahogany maple top you know big big fat yeah. neck you know like like a big r8 kind of neck you know and it's and it's a great guitar it, it's the main guitar i had all my guitars for grandview drive but for the solos this black one was pretty much the main because it's just thick it just has that you know yeah. I had Steve Stevens on the show. He, he, I think he's the last time we had a Nags player, but I just love those guitars, man. Thank you. I, yeah, Steve's great. And uh, Steve was yeah. the first guy that when, when Joe and Peter left PRS like 10 years ago or more at this point, uh, Steve was their first you know, celebrity endorser to come over. And, uh, and he really, Steve really helped, not to take anything away from, from Joe's guitars and, and Peter's uh, management, but Steve really helped put them on the map. Um, and then... In tw- late 2017, they found me, and uh, I had been with Tom Anderson Guitars for years, uh, eight years, maybe more. Yeah. And really, I, you know, I was happy with those. I was fine with those. And then, long story short, Joe Nags called me on the phone. I had never met him, and was basically like, you know, look, uh, Peter and I want to kind of build you a signature model, but uh, you know what? what direction do you want the guitar to be? And every based on my previous history of playing, you know, double cut guitars, strat style or super strat guitars, that's what they thought I was gonna suggest to make an Eric right. Steckel signature strat. But then Well I was gonna say it's a big departure from Tom Anderson to It's a huge yeah. departure. But basically what happened was to kind of boil this down, when I was younger uh, I was on tour in the Netherlands, and a super rich fan of mine brought his original 59 Burst uh, for that show and said, here, play it for the show, and, and I'll film it, and it would be an honor, and I played it. And I had been kind of chasing that high ever since. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't really like, I didn't really like any, any of the Gibsons that I was you know, playing off the rack necessarily. Like, you know, it's kind of like chasing that dragon, you know? And so yeah. when I told Joe this, Joe said, you know what? He said, let me, let me build you something. And then maybe four or five weeks from now, I'll send it to you. It'll be just a prototype. You know, it's not going to have anybody's name on it. It's not going to have anything on the trust. It's just going to be a prototype. And if you like it, we'll make it your signature model. And that is the guitar. That's the guitar. Beautiful. And I, I told him, I said, don't change anything. 
And essentially what it is, is it, it's a Nags 59 Les Paul. You know, he just basically yeah. said, we're going to make it the way they used to make them. You know, I want one of those, man. That story you told me reminds me of when I was interviewing Peter Frampton. I mean, it's a famous story, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's playing at 335 at the Fillmore in San Francisco and it's feeding back and he can't quite. He's like, this guy's like, man, I see you struggling. Meet me here tomorrow. And they meet at the donut shop before the next night's show. And he gives him that three pickup Les Paul. And he said his feet didn't touch the ground that night. He was so, yeah. he, he just got so high playing that guitar. I totally get it. I mean, it's funny. I was just talking with the engineer of this studio just, just 10 minutes ago about, you know, about equipment and the player and, you know, the whole sort of, you know, witches, witches, you know, all that whole this classic discussion. And, you know, well, the bottom line that we came to is, look, a great player is always going to sound great, but there's that extra 10% of a great player inspired by a great piece of gear you're gonna get things out of that person that we're always in there but just we're a little too afraid to come out and i think that's what great gear does it doesn't make someone better it just pulls out the things that maybe the guitarist was afraid to go to you know or or a little too you know too timid to go for and to me that's what gear is yeah good point now i've seen a lot of videos of you playing meza barba amps recently which i love they're fire breathing high gain yeah, Italian. I got them in the got them in the live room there. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I play those at they have those at the whiskey in L.A. You know, I don't know if you ever played down at um the Tuesday night. It, they call it a jam, but it's yeah, it's organized. I haven't been down there in a while, but I know that I heard from Pierangelo that that Mezzabarbas are are the house amp now, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember playing with Gibson Explorer through it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like a religious experience, like so clear and. Yeah. And just, it was great. I mean, any guitar will sound great through it. But today, you're not playing through a tube amp right now. You're playing through... Right now, I'm playing through a the Brainworks. Shout out to my buddy Dirk, who invented Brainworks plugins and, and, and designs all these. Uh, this is the Diesel Herbert plugin from Plugin Alliance, Brainworks. And um, basically... Um, you know, even though I'm, I am a full Mezzabarba endorser, uh, and I play those every time since since 2018, anytime I play live uh, or in the studio, it's primarily going to be the Mezzabarba. Um, but for ease of getting this accomplished today with short time, we didn't have time to mic everything up, so we're just running this Brainworks thing. And I'll tell you what, yeah. I own a Diesel Herbert, uh, and this is pretty damn close, man. I mean, they, even the noise they got like even the things about it that even the quirks they got um it's amazing it's amazing what they do with these and of course it's not going to be as epic as me micing up the meza 412 and everything but for you know for yeah for five minutes of work it's pretty good you know yeah let's hear a little bit of it sure again Thank you. 
pretty good, man. It's it's pretty authentic. That's killer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that a good plug-in like that might be missing is like if you get that feeling of the amp bouncing off the walls of a room, which of course we can simulate with great verb and stuff, but yeah, it's right. It's come so far that uh, it's, know, it really is amazing. And the the reverb and delay we're using is actually not the built-in uh, reverb and delay in the plugin. We're using a couple that we're using the little plate reverb, which is my favorite and the engineer's favorite. Uh, and he put a delay on, and then he left the room. So I'm not sure what the delay is, but yeah. I, it's but it's great. It's uh, he prefers those more to than what's built into the uh, amp sim. So I just call those the soul and talent knobs. There you go. Oh, no. Just 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 it's just everything more epic. Hundred percent. So hundred percent. What kind of strings are engaged are you using on your guitars? I use uh, GHS. Um, I use the Boomers, but they're the the ones with the coating yeah. on them, sort of like their version of Elixirs, but they're better because Elixirs are real bright and really coated. And what I like about yeah. the GHS version is they're just a little they're a little bit just more subdued. Like they're less like you know banjo y sounding yeah. <laughs> than the Elixirs, and a little less of the coating. So it's for, for people that want that kind of, they like the concept of Elixir, but yeah. they don't like that that feeling. And I use 10 to 46. And what what scale length are these necks? Are they like a Les Paul kind of? Like? Four and three quarter, yeah. Cool. And that was a big and that was a big jump because I went from playing Strat scale my whole life, yeah. I mean literally my whole life, to just the last two, well, two and a half, three years with nags going to the short scale. It's made my playing better. It's made my vibrato better. The only thing I would say that I notice, well, there's no negative, but the one little quirk that I notice is when you play some kind, when you play open chords, you know, especially like a D chord, I find that it sounds, this is, this is really nerdy, but it sounds a little different to me on 24 and 3 quarter scale guitars than on Strat, strat scale guitars. Um, the Absolutely. Way, the way it rings out, um, the subtle overtones, things like that are a little bit different. But as far as everything else, I feel it's it's actually improved. It's, it's better. Yeah, I think the big, fat, fire-breathing humbucker sound definitely suits you. That's great. Yeah, it suits me. I mean, because I, I fought, and it also allowed me to eliminate yeah. pedals from my rig because I... When I was playing strats, you know, I fought, I fought them. It was almost like a nightly wrestling match because I had this sound in my head, which is kind of what you're hearing now. That's that thick, epic sound. But I'm like stuck with a strat, and I'm like, I had all these pedals. I'm trying to like goose it and boost it and make it more epic, and it wasn't. It just wasn't inherent in the guitar. So yeah, right. switching to this guitar really helped. Hey, congratulations! Now, when you were young, you ended up touring with. Eric Clapton's old bandmate. Mm -hmm. Tell tell us about this crazy adventure. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun story. I love telling the story because it is really uh, it is wild, and it's the older I get, the more I appreciate it uh, because I have more perspective. Basically, it started off like this. I was 12 years old, and uh, I was still living here in Pennsylvania at the time. It was like just before I moved to Florida, but there was a festival in Sarasota, Florida, a blues festival that was famous for having their 12 o'clock noon opener be, you know, someone under 25, like a, a young, the next, you know, the prodigy kids. And they did this oh, every cool. year. And that was in the woman, Barbara Strauss, who ran the festival. She became known as like the real promoter of the next generation of talent. Like she understood that like the legends are great, but we have to make new legends, you know, and she was super cool. And she had heard about me this was still before social media, but still internet, you know. And so she had heard about me, I guess, through the internet somehow and contacted my dad at the time because I didn't have management yet. 
you know, I was just a kid. And yeah. she basically said, look, how much do you need to get Eric and his band down here and play the 12 o'clock slot? So they worked it out. Next thing I know, uh, we flew down there and I did the 12 o'clock slot. And lucky for me, this all happened while I didn't know about any of this. So I'm on stage facing the crowd. All the stuff I'm about to tell you happened behind me. So I'm playing my set and John Mayall was the headliner of that evening. And even though he was playing at like, you know, 10 or 11 p.m., just so happened that he got there early because he had to get, I guess, his hotel information or something, you know, credential, yeah. you know, lanyards, whatever it was. He had to get there early and get something. So he pulls up behind the stage in his tour bus and he gets out and walks over to Barbara and talks to her or whatever. But while he's doing this, he's hearing me. He can't see me because he's behind the stage. But he's hearing, he's hearing me play. What I was told is that John said to Barbara, I'm going to go check out this guy, not knowing I was a kid. And he goes, you know, I like what I hear. I want to go check this guy out. So he walks around the stage, and he comes to the front, and he looks, and he goes, what the fuck? It's a, it's a, it's a little kid. He's like, what? This, is this a joke? This can't be real. So he, he like, freaked out. And he said to, to Barbara, he said, where's this kid's dad? I got to talk to his dad. And this is all happening while I'm playing. I don't know any of this is going on. And how old are you again? You're... I was 12. 12. Yeah, I was 12. Yep. So this is all happening, you know, during my whatever, 45 or 50 minute set or whatever. So he finds my dad. My dad's backstage. And he basically says, look, um, you, know, you may or may not know me. I'm John Mayo. My dad goes, I, I know you. And uh, he goes, look, this is going to sound really forward and it's going to hit you, but... I want to take your son on the road. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I have an ear for guitar talent, and I, I haven't heard anything like this in a long time. And I, I have a European tour coming up, and I think Eric would be perfect for it. Uh, here's my, here's my card. Um, let's keep in touch. <laughs> so I came off the stage, and my dad told me this. And, you know, I'm 12 years old, so I, I understood the words he was saying to me, but I didn't really comprehend it. You know, I was like, what? Okay. Within a few weeks, I was on a plane to Norway or wherever we, the first gig was, Stockholm or something. And I just so it was like a summer tour. Yeah, it was like a late summer tour, and we and I and I learned and I, I'm riding. So I'm 12 years old, and you know the week before I was playing you know sports bars you know for 12 people, and now I'm on a tour bus playing for 7,000 people in major European cities, staying in five star hotels and having people line up for my autograph and i'm like in in like the seventh grade you know and it was like it, it was unbelievable it was such um such a way to start my career and and um he that was really where everything began you know does he build itself as as john mail and the blues breakers still or is it just john mail then it was yeah i don't know if he calls it the blues breakers anymore i know that then so you're a blues breaker man that's awesome yes and and i actually got <laughs> i actually got the honorary blues breaker thing which is so john invited me to his woodland hills home uh a year after the tour because a year after the tour he did a record called road dogs and he asked yeah. me to do solos on it. So he flew me into L.A. And he put me up at his place. Um, and my dad was there. And John has this green Stratocaster in a frame hung up above his fireplace. And it has that guitar. Like when John, unfortunately, whenever John passes and that guitar is sold or auctioned, that might be the most valuable guitar in the world. Because it has every signature of every rock guitar hero that ever lived. And John... Such as... Hendrix, Stevie, Clapton, 
I, uh, slash uh, Eddie. I mean, it's like it's like the, it could be the most valuable guitar in the like yeah. in the world. It's unbelievable. Like Gary Moore. I mean, it's like every guitar god that you would ever want on a guitar. And wow. John took it down and asked me to sign it. Man. So I was like 14, and I signed right next to Jimi Hendrix. Holy shit! And my That's dad. Quite a moment. And my and I'm and it was again. It was a little bit before smartphones and a little before social media. So. I didn't really, it's sad that, I mean, the, my signature's on the guitar, so anybody, whenever the guitar is made public, it's there, but I didn't get any photos of the signing, uh, unfortunately. Um, but I know that it was a heavy moment for me, and my dad was like, you know, sh shaking almost. It was, it was heavy. It was heavy. It was, it was unbelievable. Your dad must be a musician too, or something, or? No. Not at all? This is a weird fact. I am the only musician in the Steckel family that we can even trace as going as far back as like Germany when they came over. Um, Interesting. There's there's, ne there's never been in this in this Steckel tribe of people. There's never been a musician. Uh, so I'm the, I'm the first. Uh, I, I don't know where it came from, but yeah. So did you play some of the classic Bluesbreaker album, the Clapton Bluesbreaker era? What was, show us some of your stuff. I don't know, Hideaway or anything. I mean, for me, like, yeah, all that stuff. So when I was young, I would, I would always start, I would always start with either Hideaway or The Stumble. Excuse me, I would start my sets with those songs or Stepping Out. You know, I did Stepping Out for years. <laughs> All that stuff was, was a huge part of my childhood, and, and uh, as well as, you know, Gary Moore records and Van Halen records and, um, and you know, I mean, a lot of Stevie Ray stuff, too, even though I don't, yeah. my tone is not anything like Stevie's. Um, I, I, I have a similar right hand, you know, um, but I have a very different tone, obviously. Have we, have we covered all of your metal influences? Or? No, I guess we haven't. <sighs> wow. That's a tough. Who puts one. the metal in blues metal? <laughs> For, I love. I mean, I love. I love. Uh, it's funny. This is weird. I'm not really a, a big Metallica fan, but I'm a. F I, I love Hetfield's uh, downpicking. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and if you listen to my songs, you'll hear that there's always some of that. Like There's always a lot of that yeah. stuff in there and as far but most of my metal influences are are more 80s uh and and early yeah. 90s you know like dan huff from the band giant uh early so yeah. early 90s and you know who else i love that i think gets deserves way more attention is uh satchel from steel panther uh, he's great he's an amazing player man amazing absolutely i love that kind of playing you know so yeah i mean i don't as far as modern metal see i don't I rarely, right. I rarely go below drop C sharp. So yeah. that's usually as low as like, there is one song I did on, I think my 2015 album that I was in like drop B or something, but that was just a, a fluke. But so I'm not really, I wouldn't call myself a modern metal player because I'm only, right. si I'm only six string, you know. But 80s metal, 90s metal, sure. So did John Mayall, you have any any story stick out from the those tours that you did or anything he said or any story about Clapton or you know <laughs> anything? John John um, the way John was on the road, which is the way I've become as I've gotten older, is 
He's always extremely gracious, very respectful, very kind. Um, but he's also doesn't take any shit. Uh, and that's why he's that's why he survived in the business as long as he has. And one of the coolest moments that I learned from him was watching him handle interviews. He let me I mean, even the guys in his band that have been with him for 20 years, he let me in the room, sometimes not even them. Uh, for his interviews. And I think he did it on, I think he wanted me to see, he wanted me to learn, you know, he wanted to show me how it's done. Yeah. And I remember, I'll never forget, we were in Oslo, Norway, and a kid, uh, really young kid, only a few years older than me at the time, you know, probably 16, uh, from a, a local rock magazine, wanted to interview John, and he came in and he had a lot of his dates wrong and a lot of his facts wrong. And John, very... Uh, kind of like this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, All right, keep going. You've been right on. So the... Uh, John, in a very, very soft, very soft, mild-mannered, calm, British voice, told the kid, come back when you have done your research. And there's the door. But in a very calm, respectful way. You know, the guy never raises his yeah. voice or loses his, loses his cool. And, and I learned, and that was just like a wake-up call for me. And, and also how he runs his merch tables and... Um, how he deals with his fans and how, how he talks. How does he run his merch tables? <laughs> most bands at his level, when you're playing for, you know, five to 7,000 people a night, when you're at that level, most bands don't have like a Tupperware container of vinyls that they bring out from their own dressing room and sit there for two hours and sign for a bunch of drunk, you know, knuckleheads. John does. What I learned from that was if you want to build a core base of, of, you want to build an army, the people have to know that you really care about them. What John showed me is that he'll spend, he'll, if the show could be 90 minutes, he'll sit there for two and a half hours and just tell stories and talk to people at the merch table. And that, again, yeah. what a lesson. You know, I'm 12 years old seeing how a pro does it, you know, and, um, and watching all the money that he put in his pocket, you know, and watching him not yeah. give it to a record label. So that was, again... So I learned a lot of things at 12 that were like, no, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't buy an education like that, you know? Well, I can hear it in your playing. Like even blindfolded, I've, whether I knew how old you are or aren't, I can hear the years of touring and playing and, and yeah. with, you can hear that in somebody's fingers. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate yeah, you yeah. saying that because one of the things that I hate is when people say, oh, Eric, you're my favorite uh, Instagram guitarist. Oh, man, I, I, I hate that term because... And I know what they mean. They mean in a, in a good way, of course. But but it's like, no, 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 no. I'm a guitar player that happens to have an Instagram. I'm not an Instagram guitarist because I've actually toured. I have records. I have real experience, real road experience. And a lot of those young yeah. guys don't. So Yeah, and now you're tour you've toured a lot under your own name. Yeah. Like 29 or more countries, I suppose. Yeah, we're up to 30 now. Oh. And it would, have been, it would have been more this year, but of course, COVID. But um, yeah. Have you played all 50 states? No. I'm at 49 and a half. Wow, that's good, man. That's that's. And, <laughs> it's hard to do. Well, we we flew into uh, Fargo, North Dakota, but then we drove over the border into Minnesota. So that that gig didn't really count. So we, I just need North Dakota officially. Right, right. Some of those states, man. I know there's there's some states where it's like there might be one venue or two. You know, it's when you get when you get out west, it can be a little sparse. It can be yeah, it can be tough. And then the, and people don't realize it. It's kind of weird being a musician because like your friends, they're like, oh yeah, you play guitar and you tour. But if they actually saw like a map of all the different towns you've 
held an event in yeah. all, all over the world. Like not just like New York State, another state. Like I've probably played, and I'm sure you have, just dozens of different municipalities there besides New York City. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird because you know what happened with me was because John, it was just a coincidence because the tour that John uh, brought me on was Europe. That's where my career kind of built the most because of that. So it it, it just it, it could have been the That's other beautiful. way. If John if John would have broke me here, it would have been here. But John broke me in Europe, and so ever since that's been my biggest. My you know I play the bigger venues there. Uh, that's that's my biggest market is is Europe. Uh, the second biggest would be Australia. That's what's amazing about Australia is I've only worked there three or four times, and the growth, you know. So the first time I was there, we played a small theater. Second time there, big theater. Third time there, huge festival. Fourth time there, really huge festival. So the growth is just more exponential than than here in the states, you know. So it's hard. The states. That's awesome. Yeah, the states. I found the states to be one of the hardest markets for this kind of music. Music where the guitar is heavy and distorted. There's not a huge. You'd be surprised. There's there's not a huge market uh, in this country for that kind of sound, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's, that's interesting. Yeah, I've been hearing that for a while, you know. Yeah. Europe is more supportive of this kind of stuff. For sure. Right. Yeah, hard rock. I mean, like yeah. countries like Germany, you know, the rock festivals in Germany, you know, draw like 100,000 people. It's like insane. It's it's insane. Yeah. Who were some of the bands that were at those festivals that you were playing with on the same weekend? There was There was one festival. When people ask me this question, there's one festival that comes to mind that was like the coolest freaking lineup. And I, I still have the poster in my bedroom. It was me, all in the same day. Me, John Mayall, Steve Vai, and Greg Allman. Rad. And, Guitar craziness. Yeah, and what was cool was Andy Timmons. This was the weirdest thing. So we're in Tuscany, Italy. It's called Pistoia Blues, a pretty famous blues festival, and it's the biggest in Italy. And Andy Timmons, because I have the poster in my bedroom for the whole weekend. Andy Timmons was not on the bill anywhere. But I walk backstage to meet Steve Vai, and Andy Timmons is hanging. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're Andy Timmons? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what? He's like, I'm just hanging out, man. So I'm, I don't know. I, I still to this day don't know the story of why Andy was hanging out there, but maybe. Maybe he was working with his famous Aussie boss, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, wait, no, you were, no, you were in Italy. You were in Italy. Never mind. I was in Italy. Yeah, lost, she wasn't on the. I lost track of the continents there for a second. Yeah, she wasn't on the bill either. But but maybe <laughs> it could have been. Maybe he was doing clinics. Or I don't know. Maybe he was in town. Yeah. Who knows? But that was cool. So in one day, I met and hung out with with all those legends in one day, and that was like unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember like I remember coming down after my set to get water out of the the ice bucket in the backstage, and I remember hearing Greg talking about he, he wasn't able to find his lucky black pair of jeans and he was saying to his assistant i really don't want to go on stage until i have that one pair of black jeans it's his lucky pair like oh man just i'm, I'm sitting i'm like 15 yeah. years old and i'm hearing this i'm like wow this is cool he probably hasn't washed them since 1972 and somebody finally just hit him they're just like <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's probably why <laughs> no. they're lucky exactly so you have some signature duncan pickups or what they're coming out. We're actually, that's what I'm here in the studio to record. So tomorrow morning, the film crew comes and we're going to be doing like a sort of a cinematic style trailer uh, commercial to uh, talk, explain to people what the pickups are, are and, and what they sound like and demo them. And this has been a year in the making. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, the COVID thing shut down the custom shop, yeah. the Simmer Duncan for months. And, and then, you know, other, other little things backed it up. But finally, 
I signed the contract last week, and as soon as we film this, so probably by the middle of this month, they should be out. That's great. And it's, are they on that guitar, or what, where are they? Yeah, they're all on all my, all my nags. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, and basically what yeah. they are is they are a 100% faithful recreation of a real 1960... Um, PAF set that we pulled out of a burst in Australia called Candy. It's a pretty famous burst that a lot of people have owned, and I happen to be friends with the current owner. Uh, he's not a pro guitarist, he's a collector, but he's a fan of mine, and he brought the guitar uh, to me on my yeah. last Australian tour. The thing is, the guitar was, was, was pretty cool, but what really got me was the pickups. I, I asked him, I said, look, this is, what I'm about to ask you is, is an insane favor, and I wouldn't fault you for saying no, but could we reverse engineer these? And he said, absolutely, no problem. That's awesome. And so uh, MJ and Seymour took a look at, at the bridge humbucker and checked out you know, the materials that were used, the, the output level, and they matched it. And that's what my signature pickup is. Hey, congratulations. That's cool on many fronts, man. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. How, what pick do you use to attack the strings. Uh, this hasn't changed in years. I, I love these, the Dunlop uh, oh. 1.14 Tortex standards. Um, yeah. People Purple. come up to me and, and give me picks. Man, people have given, I think I have more picks from people than business cards. It's unbelievable how people give me, and I'm always nice about it. I take them all, but the truth is, yeah. I will never change. I like those. Yeah, I, I used to, I changed. I play those forever. I mean, various thicknesses. Sometimes the green one. Some, you know. But I've been into these Dunlop Max grips lately. Oh, you know, yeah. with the little they're nylon, and they the grip. I'm just used to it now. Like it does not move. But it's just I don't know if it's a phase or. But I've been doing using them for like a year now. Which I've never changed picks over a million years. But you're still so young. I like talking to young guitar players sometimes because. The enthusiasm just pours out. Like it's just right. like the Energizer Bunny. Like you just, you know. <laughs> yeah, my what I've noticed is, and I'm certainly not at all trying to say that I'm old. I I, I turned 30 just in July, so I'm still very young, and I I know that. But what I have, yeah. but I have been doing it a while. So what I have noticed is, um, my enthusiasm for the music itself, like the purity of making music, that'll that will never change. But I have noticed that I have gotten more maybe sarcastic or cynical about the business the music business just because i've seen a lot yeah. i've seen a lot of insane things uh in the 21 sure. years that i've been doing it um and it's just kind of made me go like it's actually made me the last year or so i try i want to word this you know properly um i feel very comfortable in where i sit in the industry now for years, I wasn't. For years, I didn't know where I fit in in the guitar community or in the blues or in the music industry. And I kind of was like unsure of that. But the last year or so, I have to say, I've gotten really comfortable with, I'm totally okay with where I sit. I'm okay with the fact that the blues purists probably don't like me. And I'm okay with the fact that, you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I have a real strong army of people that really, really love what I do. And they, they, they pay my bills, you know, so. Hey, that's a beautiful thing, man. Congratulations on that and well-deserved. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Keep that alive till you're 95, brother. That's the goal is to just keep built, just keep enhancing the army, you know, and just, uh, it's very grassroots. You know, I'm, I'm an unsigned artist. I've had 
I've had a few offers with major labels and the deals were like uh, so insane. Like they're 360 deals to where they own your t-shirts, your tour sales, your tickets. Like they own your, they own you. Like they get, you yeah. know, they get like 40% of your life. Every dollar that's in your bank account, they get 40% of. And uh, I just couldn't afford it. So I just, uh, I've been independent and somehow yeah. I keep paying the bills. So That's great. Power to you, man. But maybe you could play us out. Happy or something to. a little bit. Happy to. Let's see. So maybe you could play a song with a little bit of singing to it or something, or just for a couple of lines uh, and then. Let me see. Yeah. Let me let me think. Um, <laughs> I'm so I'm so. Uh, good thing this isn't live. Let me think. Yeah, it's it's cool. Whatever you want. Maybe a little. Uh, how about all right? How about some uh, waiting for the bus? ZZ Top. Yeah, man. I love the way you do that. It's so brutal. You know, I open up my shows with that. So that let's try that. That sounded so killer. And then, do you ever just automatically go? You know what? It's hard. Yeah, it's hard not to. Jesus, don't left Chicago. I grew up on those yeah. records, so sometimes it is instinctual, oh, yeah. and I have to see. What I did is on my version of that song. It was on my 2018 record. We actually went yeah. into. I created my own second part, just to make it a little, you know, to make it a little more yeah. original. So I've had, but I've had to really 
consciously remember to do my own part and not go into you know <laughs> what I grew up with. So yeah, I like that. It's kind of like the end of um, Train kept a ro- or no, the end of my like a little bit like Aerosmith, Sweet Emotion. They go into this big E jam. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I do on the yeah exactly. I go into this riff um, oh. that I, I actually should probably write a song on this riff. I go into this song. I love it. Well, yeah. nice little sparkly harmonics there at the end. Yeah, you know, just to add a little little color in there. Well, dude, thank you so much for uh, scheduling this and fitting it into your studio time tonight. And No problem. I had, I had a blast. Uh, yeah, it's really great, man, especially in COVID-19 time. We're all sitting here doing different stuff. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah.